Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of In the Landscape. We are so glad you're here with us today. This is our weekly podcast on all things landscape design and care, as we say at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. Of course, last week we took an unannounced break. It was just one of those weeks that we, we were so busy with the work of the design business that we just didn't get around to the podcast, which is It's a huge part of our weekly schedule. We enjoy doing it. It's a great way for us to produce some, you know, free content related Mm -hmm. to what we do. But we have been really blessed to have work coming in as we pivoted really quickly into the digital space with the COVID crisis, you know, kind of bubbling up in different ways in different places. So this ability to connect online is huge for us and, and for many others, and both on a personal and professional level. Right, and working in, in the Northeast, New York and Connecticut, and in Texas now more and more. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't done, this isn't, and we haven't done a business episode yet. I mean, we've been successfully in business for a while. We know many of the people who listen to us are landscape professionals. And for those enthusiasts out there, maybe it's interesting to know more about the business side of the industry you know, we we may put together something like that. You actually completed the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Oh, right. Which yourself. was yeah. maybe two years ago now already? Yeah. Wow. And I worked in career development in the performing arts at uh, the Juilliard School in New York for a long time and have an interest in sort of like arts entrepreneurship, which has overlapped with our business to a certain extent. That might be why we're doing a podcast, for example. <laughs> And so there's some overlap there. There are some things we can we can do if we're kind of working hard and, and trying to get things going. It's a, it's a very sort of tense time economically, even when things are going well, because it's just sort of uncertain how how long things will be different. And and, and then so with, like the business nitty gritty of what is reasonable, like when you're working yeah. remotely, are the rates different? Sometimes they are. Mm-hmm. Other times. If services are being performed remotely by another party, by a contractor, uh, I mean, their prices are the same. So the overhead hasn't really changed. So in some cases, it's fair to have reduced prices if it's online consulting or consulting on the phone or on video. For some of the other services, it's the same price, unfortunately. So even if we're not there to supervise in person, the services are, the cost of the services are the same. Yeah, it's a bit of a dance um, trying to figure out how to do all this. And so basically, long story short, hopefully our intros aren't getting too long to be of interest (laughs) to our listeners. Long story short, if you're out there in whatever industry you're in, but especially landscape professionals, we know kind of how how it's going. And, And yet people are turning to their landscapes more and more because that's where we're spending our time. So that's the flip side. Like there's always opportunity for growth, even when things look challenging in other areas. So if that's of interest, if you have any questions for us, not that we're, you know, moguls or anything, <laughs> but if there's something that you're curious about that maybe, maybe our ex, you know, educational and professional backgrounds have, have given us a little bit of insight into, feel free to reach out and let us know. And we look forward to supporting other professionals in this crazy time, crazy time. So 
We are back in the studio for another landscape topic. Oh, we hit 10,000 downloads, which is just like blows my mind. Which is very exciting. I always joked early on, like, it's kind of like proof that it's not just me and our moms, you know? (laughs) Although I do listen to the podcast, but I love listening to other podcasters more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's a great medium. Uh, We're really excited to have all of you out there listening. We have listeners around the world, which is really wonderful. And we have been almost hyper local because everything, our world has gotten so small in terms of our daily lives. But if there are topics that you'd like to share with us, we had a colleague, as we mentioned last week, well, two weeks ago, I think, visit, um, who's a colleague that we've worked with remotely in, in South Africa. Oh, right. That was great to He's meet. He's here working indefinitely because <laughs> I don't think we can travel right now. Right. And just really wonderful to have colleagues and listeners and participation all over the world where the ecosystems Mm -hmm. are different and the plants are unique. And um, that's very exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just share the commonalities, the economics too, of working in one place, living in another, working internationally is like the demand may not be high where you live. So your expertise, it's hard to make a living in some cases, or it could be very competitive where you live, or Mm -hmm. there's not a need for it. So it's an exciting world to be able, there's lots of opportunity if you open that aperture and say, what are your skills? Uh, what do you want your career to be? And then where is that in demand? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's really pretty incredible what's possible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So good luck for all of those business owners, entrepreneurs out there. We certainly respect that work a lot. It's not easy. And yet we almost create our own little ecosystem in terms of you know, the subcontractors that we are then able to support and the employees in the office. And it's Mm -hmm. nice to keep that going, especially as small businesses have had a tough time of it lately. So today's episode is all about buildings in the landscape. And the topic actually occurred to me when we were on one of our neighborhood walks. Uh, There was a structure in a backyard that was sort of deteriorating. And so I was thinking of it almost from a maintenance perspective but i guess there's also as as we'll get into this idea that like the there's some charm it's it's kind of like this weird issue that i've noticed when we're driving down the roadway or whatever like especially out in the country you'll see the outbuildings just sort of disintegrate mm-hmm. and you'll see because folks have had the land maybe it's prohibitive cost wise or it's just you know time consuming to tear down a building and so they just kind of get you know become a part of this dilapidated, but in, I mean, I don't know if I should romanticize it, but in this like kind of out in the country way where it's just like, gosh, how old is that building? Or I wonder what it was like when people were living in it. And of course, there's like a whole practice of using ruins in the landscape in a way. And Mm -hmm. so that's maybe, it may require a lot of, a lot of land to do this, but I don't know what, what can we do? I mean, even the smaller lanterns, they're like stone, maybe in the Japanese style, mm-hmm. almost feel like a little home for like garden spirits or something. Right. So well, birdhouses are, are, are a, one of the smaller buildings in a landscape, like the Martin type or the Martin house oh, yeah. uh, on a pole. So that it's similar where it's a building that you reside in has architectural elements, windows, entrances. It's often oriented in the landscape. Somehow, you know, it's maybe it's square to the property line or, and so these very small elements, so a birdhouse would be very small, 
or a shed or a pavilion cabana those having those in the landscape can add a level of richness there's this almost vibration between the main building and some of the subsidiary the the these smaller buildings. Well, and I guess we mentioned on a previous episode that we had just put up a shade structure that at one point was oriented closer to the house. We were using it to socially distance in the backyard. Well, we have people visit. As hot as it gets here. Oh, well, we still have like my, my immediate family can come visit. And yet we still stay far apart from each other because we just wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't want to have anything happen if one, one of us happened to have an exposure that the other family members didn't. But we moved it and all of a sudden there was a different relationship between it and the house and it made a big difference. So even things like those little garden sheds or even the storage sheds that that one might have make a difference Mm -hmm. and should be, I guess, carefully designed. Right. How they're oriented. It's similar when I was thinking about this episode. So buildings in the landscape, how they're oriented. It's similar to fencing. So like the oven of the haha is a trench. It's more or less an invisible fence. It's a trench that would keep livestock a distance from a building. And so the haha was invented. It doesn't have to be at a right angle to the building because you can't really see it. A fence, imagine a fence cutting across at an awkward angle. It looks, it's awkward, particularly if it's close. Now, if it's a horse ranch and it's very far away. And so the buildings are similar, how they're oriented if it's not square to, to your view, now it could be at a dynamic angle and it could look intentional, but having them square to your view is often important. It's often favorable. And so it can add richness. So how you see it, what the vista is, and so that's called an axis, an axial relationship where, where you enter the home, then you go outside to the backyard, there's a patio, then there maybe there's a pool or a patio and there's a building now, the building might not be facing the house. Maybe you're seeing the side of the building. Maybe the building faces the pool or the patio, but having, having it thoughtfully designed. When it's not thoughtfully designed, it looks like a mistake. Like, oh, it's sort of crooked. You see, uh, it's not the most flattering angle. Well, and I suppose things then like color. I mean, if you have a whole side of a building facing you, it would be especially essential to be sure that you've thought through the color and maybe decor on the side or even the style so that it's in keeping with the design that you have in the landscape. Right. I remember an example, it was a home renovation where it was expanding the home significantly in the Northeast and the garage, it was a new garage was built. It was a kitchen extension. Then there there was still a courtyard between the kitchen and the garage open air, fully open to the sky. So the, I remember working with the client and the interior designer on outdoor spaces, light fixtures, furniture. I mean, so I quickly saw the side of the garage was going to be the main view from, there was an outdoor kitchen area that was covered and then an indoor kitchen area and a family room. So it was a very extensive project. I don't know it didn't appear that they had considered the view of the side of the garage. Mm. And so we, we made sure to have light fixtures that were on either side of the garage. So when you looked at the garage, the side of it, it became a face or like mm-hmm. a favorable, more or less the front that you saw. And then it was asymmetrical and that there was a door from the garage 
a, a human scale door, not a garage door for a car that was on the left side. And so we designed a lattice, a decorative lattice that would be on that side of the garage and then potted trees because it was a paved area, it was a patio. And so that way, these simple interventions of layers make the side of the garage look intentional. And it was a pretty small intervention compared to a very large construction project. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. So what if you inherit outbuildings? And I mean, we, <laughs> in our little uh, townhome backyard in the New York area, we, we did inherit, there was a, a, a garden shed. Mm-hmm. It was kind of falling apart a little bit. <laughs> it was just, right. you know, it was subject to all the winds and it was the very snow tired. and ice from uh, like directly off of the Hudson River because we had a view of that down below. But you took some immediate action with that. Right. I remember we, we had outdoor pots that were like a light green, like a, almost a lime green. And so we picked a, if I remember correctly, a trim color and we painted the the door, was it the door we painted that same we, color? Or was it the whole yeah, shed? I think it was the whole shed. I think we did trim and white, and then the shed was that green color. Oh, okay, right. And then one side was, I think, old-fashioned asphalt shingles, possibly, mm-hmm. that which yeah. you didn't really see. So that's a really good example, because that was very humble, modest. It was So we picked a color that picked up on outdoor planters we already had. So I remember scraping it, painting it. So it looked very intentional. Because it was a big part of the view, really. Mm-hmm. And then we planted, there were seasonal plants, hydrangeas, serviceberry tree. So in the summer, it was very lush, lots of flowers, plants that attract birds. And we, we started to obscure the shed. So what you did see was pretty. It was cute. There was a, a window and a window box area. Yeah, that was nice. Then the side of it that had the asphalt shingles, that's, I mean, like, from about a hundred, like like the early twentieth century, probably you know, very old, that lasts forever. We created a grid where we took large stainless steel nails or screws and made a lattice with wire, so that let's say it's it stuck out about an inch or two. Mm-hmm. And then there were vines, Virginia creeper, another type, maybe a trumpet vine. Mm-hmm. And so quickly, the part that you did see, maybe you saw like a third of the building, was very cute, pretty colors. Then we started to obscure, and vines very quickly covered that side. It was very effective, and that Virginia creeper had some of the best fall color oh, right. in that yard, which was really nice. It attracts birds. It's a native, produces fruit for birds. Well, and you soften the building a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of outbuildings are you know, weatherproof material. Maybe they don't lend themselves to painting very, you know, if they are like a I don't know what you would call it, <laughs> composite or something or like aluminum. Yeah, um, if it's a shed. So, so the plantings seem like they could be quite important in that case, right? Some evergreen plantings too. I mean, these buildings are often visible in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, often if they're in close proximity to the house, and so that when you inherit a building like we did, you can dress it up considerably mm-hmm. at a pretty low cost. So it's more or less just considering. What are you going to see? Maybe frame it. So emphasizing parts that are favorable and then obscuring parts that are not. Well, and it's amazing how much uh, just a little bit of thought and intention can make such a difference because my my younger sister who lives out in Oregon um, had her, her husband had a shop built for his business. And it's 
a sizable building. They have a gorgeous piece of property. They had room for it, but it's the perfect shade of green because it matches the evergreens that are on the property. And it's not like you don't know that there's a building there, but it's not, I don't want to say offensive. It's, but it's not obtrusive in your vision. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like that process of not only can you distract people from seeing something, but the brain will, you know, kind of drop information that it doesn't need. Mm -hmm. And so as long as things are camouflaged to a certain extent, then our brains don't worry about it. It's that idea of something standing out like a sore thumb because it's dilapidated or it's not the right color. And so these sort of tricks of softening or, or disguising can work even for very large buildings. Surprisingly, right. you think so, of like what's it's one of the largest shop. building would be like a would be a water tower. Oh right, so yeah, those, those are, always stand out. Those are often, I mean, here in Texas, I think in the, in the Northeast too, they're often not quite white, but a pale color, a uh-huh. pale blue, a pale. I wonder if gray. that's for aircraft or something. Well, it's often like the color of the sky. Oh, I so see. When you look up mm. at it, it's there's not much contrast between it and the sky. That's uh-huh. my guess. But sometimes, as they are in our town of <laughs> Katy, Texas, just mm-hmm. west of Houston, they are decorative. They they painted it with a very beautiful. It's got the the uh, waterfowl like flying oh, right. that design, and actually, it's quite nice. I mean, they're there. Like in a way, you're going to notice right. them because they're, I think, because they're so high, and it's kind of nice to see them again intentional and you can you see it when you're traveling on the highway so yeah. people are passing through the town yeah and it's oh there's kd which stands for the kt the kansas and t railroad right kansas texas railroad oh, wow. is where it comes from the k and the t <laughs> <laughs> so of course we're talking kind of like our standard outbuildings things that many of us might have in our landscape and again the footprint of the yard that we had in the New York area was not large, and yet there was a shed. There was room for a shed, and mm-hmm. so we had to kind of work with with the material that was there. But there's a whole history of buildings in the landscape that aren't even useful, <laughs> and yet they're oh, a right. huge part, almost like the little lantern that I mentioned, but on a grander scale to create a whimsical or sort of mystical effect almost. Right. Well, so can you talk about those a little more? Well, the Japanese lantern, that's an example of that, where originally there was a candle or a, something lit in it, and then pretty quickly it became it's just an ornamental element in the landscape. So the term a garden folly, people can look that up, but it's more or less, it's just something, it's a building in the landscape that's for, it's purely to please the eye. And so... Some of the definitions are it's the builder's folly. It's like you're building something that's almost a, on some level, it's like absurd. You're, it's expensive, actually. That's part of the definition, something that's mm. conspicuously expensive that is just for, for visual pleasure. Now, it wouldn't have to be that, but in some of these, these precedent gardens, Capability Brown is known to do that, where they're building a stone temple, like a Greco Roman style temple in an epic scale landscape where it's across the water. And so that is quite an absurd, but it adds incredible richness. It pulls your eye. It it creates an axial relationship. So wherever you're standing, it can create more depth. So one way to do that, the buildings are quite tall, but the footprint is not that large. It feels significant. 
So it maybe it's, I'm going to guess, 30 feet wide, but it's 50 feet tall, or, or maybe it's 10 feet and 30 feet. There's ways to accentuate where you're, you're more or less creating a painting. And so parks do that. Central Park is so well-known. We always talk about that. More or less in the center of it is Belvedere Castle. And, and that's where the, when they take the New York City temperature, that's where they're doing it from. It's, yeah. So the weather report comes from that. There's a weather station. Huh. And so that's on a rock outcropping. It's a Scottish style, as I understand it, castle. There's a nature center there. So it's these elements in the landscape that add visual pleasure, richness. It's a contrast to the landscape. It's what's this conspicuous element. And so without it, you might feel like you're taking a walk in nature. It's restorative. But there's this vibration between the, the viewer and the landscape when there's this built structure. Is the built structure typically, like, is the scale normal? Is it usually like a normal size building that you could walk in? Or would you, like, if you wanted to do this in your own landscape, would you, depending on the size of the landscape, would you scale it up or down? Uh, It's often, yeah, very good question. It's scaled down, but not in all proportions. So when I think of, it's similar to a dollhouse. So it's, there's even one at Lindhurst Mansion, which is in the lower Hudson Valley. There's like a children's playhouse that I, I forget the exact details, but it, it somehow relates to the main house. So it's, when I think of, I can think of houses that we've worked at where we've helped integrate an outbuilding. It was like a garden shed basically into the landscape. So we, match the color to the house. We helped pick a color. We did plan things that related to it. It's often the proportions are, are a bit skewed. So maybe it's like this one in Westchester I can picture. It felt horizontal like a residential house. It wasn't that tall though. So it'd be, it, it was a little uncomfortable to stand in it. And, but the windows and the doorways, it, was, it looked proportionate. Mm-hmm. Like it was a mini version of the house. Mm-hmm. And some of Capability Brown, some of these, they're creating these like temples in the landscape, which is, I mean, it's like a secular temple, but like a Greek or Roman building. Those are, as I remember, and this is in French gardens and in that precedent in Canada, Frank Cabot's garden. They're, They're often very tall, narrow buildings. So it has this very slender appearance, which, Mm. so that's. It's similar to like a skyscraper where it, it creates drama mm-hmm. and it's, the, the landscape is horizontal. The way we see is very horizontal. Do so you think our, our field of view, if, if you stretch your arms out, it's, it's more than 180 degrees. But our field of from uh, vertically is quite narrow. So creating this very tall element, it adds a lot of drama to the landscape. So is this the kind of thing that you would suggest someone attempt to replicate in the landscape? Or is it, is it really tricky to do generally? Like, you know, we've talked about inheriting buildings and what to do, but should anyone be so bold as to, you know, following Capability Brown's footsteps and actually attempt this, depending on the size of their yard? Um, yeah, I would encourage people to. Now, you could work with landscape designer, with an architect, there's that project we did a design consult 
in the Northeast recently. And I mean, so this relates to it similar. So we were proposing these very modern pavers, uh, like to create a dry stream bed. And so how do you simulate something that's very heavy or massive? You can do it with cardboard or, or with another material. And so you could do that with a building. You could create stakes and then tie ribbons between the stakes to, to simulate. Uh, people do it with, with a chicken coop or uh, a small building near a pool where you would you'd change. And then doing a scale drawing is often very helpful. So you're imagining what you draw a scale person, let's say six feet tall approximately, and then how that would look in the landscape. And then you could simulate it with stakes in the landscape. So it's definitely approachable. Well, and we had an episode where we talked about designing for children and having, I mean, we talked about the play structures that often get removed from the landscape. And of course, mm-hmm. I mean, so we may have been referring to like swings and, and climbing structures, but it, it makes me wonder if, if this approach could be applied sort of like the approach of embedding the building in the landscape with mm-hmm. pl- intentional plantings and, and color. Like if you're going to go to the lengths of getting a, a playhouse for your children in the landscape that, you know, it could be, the non-castle way of like just having fun with this and saying like, right. well, we're going to have the playhouse, but it's not just going to be stuck in the middle of the lawn. Let's, let's build the little path up to it and put the little plantings around it that are sort of like to scale so that it's almost the replica of a larger landscape. Right. Just I would agree. So having, I mean, good design. I mean, I've gone on working with new clients here in Texas and I mean, it's our favorite kind of relationship where the goal is to create something that's timeless. So it mm-hmm. doesn't look like, oh, that's like 2010 or 1990 when this, you know, when blonde wood was popular or something. Mm. And so I think that's what you're suggesting. So there could be, let's say it's a, a family with young children. So create, it could be a garden folly. It's they, in the short term, maybe it's a children's playhouse, but it's situated such a way it could also become a storage area for maybe for lawn furniture or where garden planters go or where garden tools go eventually. So having a building with these garden follies, I mean, Beatrix Ferrand, her example at Dumbarton Oaks, there are buildings which may be following the precedent of, uh, of a Hidcote where there's these like double pavilions that are in the landscape. So it can be a building that has multiple purposes on the surface level, it's appealing to the eye, though. That's so. Like, what's the program? That it, it's an asset in the landscape. Landscape. Then it can also be very functional, and so that's quite exciting. It could be a hybrid building. It could be a children's playhouse. I think that's a great idea. Well, and it sounds like some of the forms we're talking about are very almost classical. You've mentioned Greek and Roman architecture. We're thinking Scottish castle. But one could really go in any direction. So I mentioned Mm -hmm. sort of like the Japanese lantern style. You could have a tea house respectfully done, done with the, that aesthetic in mind, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like, oh, it's got to be a castle or a something with columns. You really could branch out into all kinds of suitable to your aesthetic, like design options. Right. It makes me, reminds me, I mean, I've worked with, with garden building fabricators. So that's an economical way to purchase a building. So it's something that's prefabricated. 
Now, they're more and more popular. And so some of the companies will customize. So you have a certain style shutter with a silhouette that, that used to be popular, like in the early 20th century. So it'd be a, a shutter and there'd be a half moon or a cow jumping over the moon or a palm tree or a star. And so there's a level of customization. So what you're buying is a reasonable cost, but it relates to your home. The other approach would be to have it distinctively contrast your home or the main building. So there's the Adirondack style where it's more or less rustic wood is used to construct. So you have an actual tree limb and that's a post for the building. That would be another approach to go. So it looks, it could look very rustic or if it's a Greek or Roman style. So that's like within the, the pantheon of classicism. It might be a different style than your home, but it's, if your home is a, is a classical style, that could also work. If now, if your home was like quite contemporary, the building could be, you know, very simplistic or it could contrast it and be quite rustic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like a good way to, to play around with styles because the scale is, it does accommodate a little more, <laughs> a little more playfulness than maybe like your home, which you're not going to change all that much. And now you mentioned something when we were researching that I thought was interesting because, of course, we are talking now this topic would have a lot to do with the size of your yard um, and the size of your property that you're working on. And we don't want to leave out people with smaller properties or small or or no land outside of the apartment. Mm-hmm. But what you were talking about was this idea that of this the axial relationship connecting the indoor and the outdoor. And, and giving you like a, a way station on your journey through the garden. And that's something like, like potted plants outside the apartment door is that connection where it's sort of like the bringing the garden in or having the building come out as an extension. So oh, if there's right. less of it. There's like the veil has become thinner between mm-hmm. the two worlds. And, you know, I mean, they have things, if, if you're into the sort of whimsical idea, they even have small, small versions of like fairy garden building materials that you can put into container gardens. It's a specific style, but if this really appeals to you on a level of like kind of the mystery and the fun of it, like the mm-hmm. imagination that it evokes to have this structure in the landscape that it can be accomplished even on a, on a small scale. I've even seen, this is not plant related at all, but they have little um, street scenes that you set into your bookshelf. So it's like these miniatures that light up. And so your books are there, but then there's like this little street scene that you're like looking into. Mm -hmm. It has a similar, when I talk about it, it's got this similar kind of effect, this mystery and fun and imagination. It's like a suggestion, like how literature reading fiction has been described as telling yourself a story. So it's, it's providing enough information, but, it's, but you're more or less filling in the blanks. And with some of these buildings, I think that's, that's maybe a key component, having, it's not too explicit. So it's, it could be a simple building with some details. Now, if it has every detail that the main house has or the main building, it can become a little distracting. So we think of a painting, there's the, Elements in the foreground of the painting might be full detail. And the, the elements in the, in the background of the painting, it's often simplified. It's, you can make out, oh, there's a shadow, there's a person. It looks like there's 
you know, there's a small cabin. And so that in a way is the spirit of these follies that it's, it's a suggestion and they could be very small. So depending, let's say it's, it's quite a shallow yard. The building could be quite small. The key is, is proportion. So it looks, it's believable, mm. but it might not even be a building that you enter. So or having, even in the spirit of ruins, like it could be like a column and a, and a foundation stone, like the suggestion of a building that was there in a space that's too small to accommodate an entire you know, oh, right. arena. And that's done like throughout European gardens and you know, other places, of course, yeah. where there's, it was a ruin or sometimes ruins are created mm-hmm. to evoke that feeling. All right, so we're, we're getting toward the end of the episode. Did you have anything else you wanted to share on this topic? Are we ready for our design principle? Well, let's see. I would encourage people to check out, I mean, some great examples. Mm-hmm. I'll give one of my lists. <laughs> so great examples of follies or buildings in the landscape would be Capability Brown's Stowe. That's like an incredible precedent. Beatrix Ferrand's Dumbarton Oaks, where there's two pavilions. Lawrence Johnson's Kid Coat, and so there's also two buildings there, which Frank Cabot, that he and his wife were the founders of the Garden Conservancy, and I'm going to have you pronounce that, that building that's, oh, in, that's in Canada. Uh, let's see, Jardin de Quatre Vents, I think, which I think means Garden of the Four Winds, but our Francophones can, <laughs> can oh gosh, can correct me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And so that's quite a precedent where there's buildings. And so he's using precedents from European gardens. And so it's buildings in the landscape that create wonder. It, and more or less, it pulls you through the landscape. It's a mechanism to pull you through the landscape. And it can be functional too. And so let's see. So the, the design principle or principles of the week, dominance and emphasis. So it's sort of nested within that are, is size. So how the folly ought to be proportionate to the landscape, to the view. So scale is important. There's often an axial relationship too. Uh, and so if, if those things are achieved, where it's, it's the right proportion to the depth that you're seeing it, it relates to the main building if there is a main building. Like the ratio in a way is important of the height and the depth. It can make the sum of its parts greater, basically. That it creates depth, wonder, it can pull you into the landscape and add wonder. Great. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of In the Landscape. I did mention we're busy developing things for the business. So if you're interested, we actually were recently, very recently, last week, received our approval as a an accredited content provider for the American Society of Landscape Architects, something about which we're very proud. Um, they do excellent work and it's such a great community and we're excited to be able to develop programs for landscape architects to work on their continuing ed credits right. um, with our emphasis being in, you know, residential design, horticulture, and like historical restoration for those that are interested. So if that's of interest, of course, we have our online classes for which we're rolling, you know, rolling the specific applications through to get the actual credit count. But we're offering an online version of our Boxwood, I should say a synchronous live version of our Boxwood pruning course uh, with you on Friday, July 24th. 
Um, so folks can go to our website, kinggardeninc.com and check out our online courses. You can register for the live course, which is July 24th, starting at 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Hopefully that will work for people in different time zones. If not, the asynchronous class is a really good option. It's you narrating several lectures. We've got a lot of really cool articles to accompany it, some videos from other folks out in the industry. And then we will process the accreditation. So specifically for now, we've been ASLA approved. We're working on ISA, International Society of Arboriculture. Mm -hmm. If there's an organization in your country or your region that you think we should be in touch with so that you can get credits you need for your professional development, let us know. Drop us a line and we can work on getting that accreditation. We try to make the courses relevant to non-professionals. So it's really at a high professional level, but with the sort of educational awareness of enthusiasts who might be taking it as well. So it should be adaptable to your needs. If you're into the subject, it's it's learnable, the, the content right. we're providing. And we've, we've participated in education where I've given talks that qualified for American Institute of Architecture. Oh, awesome. And so we're working. So it's reasonable that we would also achieve that. That's like there's more steps. Absolutely. Uh, so I know there's many professionals as part of being a professional more and more and more industries continuing education is required. And with the online ability, it just makes it easy to kind of provide those offerings to more and more people. So mm-hmm. it's very exciting. Anyway, that is why we missed out on last week. <laughs> but we do hope to join you again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, review, all the things, wherever you like to listen. Um, we really appreciate the support. We can't believe we've had 10,000 downloads. That's right. And We're I very think excited. Our, <laughs> we've been at this for at least a year because I just renewed our hosting platform subscription. So Uh, Very exciting for us to have had this journey and we hope you'll join us for another full year of content and discussion. Um, And discovery too. Like we're discovering, we share it. There's feedback. It's like a, like an open, open circle of information. We hope. It's been wonderful. A Mobius strip that never ends. I'm just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) It doesn't matter. All right. So we look forward to joining you for our next episode. We hope you're able to get out in your landscape sometime soon. More and more stuff is opening up. Check reservation requirements. We found that out when we went to a state park. Um, Some of the National Trust Gardens you mentioned, you can start to visit again, but they require reservations. So just be Mm -hmm. mindful of that. And, you know, it's so restorative to visit these places. So take pictures of follies and send them to us. That's right. Very good. All right. Until next time. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.